0: Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. Wrestling
1: should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. Brothers, sisters, gender resistors, welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. This is episode 89 and this week we have a hell of a guest for you. It's a big week for Progress Wrestling, it's Chapter 151 Heavy Metal, it's one of the biggest matches in recent British wrestling history, happening between Spike Treve and Karen for the Progress title, and this week we have got a guest that is closer to that than anyone's going to be apart from the two participants in the cage. I have a man this week who has one of the best nicknames in wrestling, it is the one-man armory, Bullet. Bullet, how are you doing today?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very good. I'm, I'm very excited to chat to you. Uh, I have a bit of a penchant for the big man in wrestling, so to be able to discuss with you some of the inner workings of working that style is is uh, really exciting for me. Uh, generally, how are you feeling? Like this is a big week for you as well, like
0: in wrestling. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's quite a lot of anticipation building up towards that match, right? So I'm a little bit tentative. Um, I know that the current plan is that Spike wants to deal with it on his own, so that's the plan and Spike's the boss so we'll just uh we'll see what happens but you know if that's what he wants to do then that's what he's going to do so.
1: I think by now Spike's worked out that uh, following his path has really worked well for him so far of course he is the champion a long yeah. serving one at that and you've helped along the way with that. Um, I wanted to start by asking um about the name Bullet um yeah. without you know you don't have to go too deep on it but it's such a unique name within the sphere right now you know you're not using a sort of average name like a Matt or a Dave or something so how did the name Bullet come around
0: my dad called me Bullet when I was a little boy my mum used to shave my head and my head is shaped like a bullet so (laughs) my dad used to call me it when I was a kid and so yeah a lot of what I do in wrestling is is based around things to do with my dad and the people that I love and stuff so yeah it's the reason why I wear the colours that I wear and um, it's the reason why yeah I'm named Bullet and then I did always think, you know, that sort of eventually I'd get to somewhere where somebody would want to change the name and somebody would want me to maybe still have Bullet in the middle of it but, you know, have a first and last name on either side of it and stuff but nobody's ever asked for it and so I have no intention of ever changing it. You know, it depends where I go but if nobody asks, I'm not going to change it and then I think now it's got to the point where if somebody does ask then they better have a really good reason and they need to kind of sell it to me. Now they need to sell me a reason to not call myself what I've been calling myself since the first time I put on a pair of boots. I've, you know, I've never had to change it. So I, yeah, I never will. If there's never a reason I I, I don't plan on ever being known as anything else.
1: Yeah. You've built up obviously a reputation with that name now, like, uh, obviously to, to someone like myself, who's seen you through the, the progress sphere, like I see you as bullet. And it's a name that really works. Like it sounds like the name of, of a guy who is the muscle, Um, And you're like, you know, I wanted to talk about your moveset as well. Like you're, Mm. you know, being a a big guy wrestler, you're one of the, if not the largest guy on that progress roster. Like, do you feel your moveset is like you get an advantage over other people? Like you can do moves that other guys maybe can't do just being like the bigger wrestler?
0: Well, no, quite the opposite, really. It can be a little bit frustrating sometimes when, um, you know, other wrestlers who don't weigh anywhere near as much as I do wrestle each other and therefore when they both weigh next to nothing they're then able to hit power bombs and choke slams and i mean no one's really doing a choke slam fortunately and if they did i mean it's just not going to go over very well now to do a choke slam anyone that comes into progress now and starts trying to do choke slams is just gonna probably just gonna bomb but you know there's other moves that i do you know um the the claymore kick that i do i do it in a particular way but there's other people that run and just put one foot right in the other guy's head so you know, sometimes it gets frustrating where it's the case of just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, because I am capable of doing a moonsault off the top rope. I'm not going to do one, though, because there's never a reason for me to do one. If I can do if I can tell a better story and I can have a better match by using the moves that people want to see and make sense, then I will. Whereas, you know, when I see two flyweight guys do a sit out power bomb just for a quick out just to then go up top and do their 450, just do something else. You don't need to do that. Just do something else. But, you know, the other thing about it, it doesn't really bother me that much anyway, because I don't do particularly, I've never tried to reinvent the wheel when it comes to my moveset. I've always taken the attitude of pick something you're good at, pick something that works, and then make sure that when you do it, people will, if they see somebody else do the same move, they'll just think, well, that's just a lesser version of the one bullet does. So... I don't reinvent the wheel. I just try and make sure that everything I do, I do to the best of my ability to get it over as a move you associate with me now. Even though you'll see probably on a show, especially on a a progress show or a soft pro show, where there's like seven plus matches on the card, you know, seven minimum, there's a good chance you might see some of my key moves at least once before I come out. But as long as I do mine better than the other person did theirs, it's up to them whether they want to do the same moves that, know i'm getting associated with me as well
1: i think that's such a good point i hadn't thought of it from that point of view of that the other guys have the advantage of maybe being able to do that stuff but i I was particularly thinking of like your chokeslam and stuff like the amount of airtime you're able to get on that is obviously so impressive you talked about not reinventing Mm. the wheel. so sure um where did your wrestling fandom kind of start from so like are you taking influence from people in the past like did you always like the big guys growing up or were you uh, a more general fan?
0: Were you even arrested? Well, I'm, 30, I'm 37, so when I was coming up, everyone was a big guy, you know. Yeah. One of the smallest people in the WWE when I was watching it was like Shawn Michaels and like Road Dogg. You might not have think, thought of somebody that was particularly big, but, you know, when you meet Brian James in person, which I haven't, but when you see James talking to your average Joe, Brian's like six foot three and probably, I know he's obviously in like, got a different physique to what he had when he was in the WWE. But even when he was in the WWE, I bet he weighed about 18, 19 stone, you know? And it, But For but sure. compared to everybody else who was there, he looked like a, a smaller guy. He was a guy that would go in and take a lot of stuff and sell a lot of stuff. He wasn't really ever billed as, like, a hoss or anything. But that's because everyone else there was huge. Um,
1: yeah. I've seen Billy Gunn in real life, and it was just, like, a freak. Sure. Like, he's still yeah, huge now, yeah. obviously. And he is on AEW, and he looks huge there. but. He's just like, it's like a different human, like a different breed of yeah, person. Yeah, he's a monster.
0: Yeah, he's yeah. a monster, yeah. I met Bob Holly years ago, and Bob Holly, you know, was big on TV. And then you meet him in person, and he's just even bigger. Yeah. Just an even bigger person than you realise he was, because you look at a picture of him, and you're like, well, of course he's big. But then you see see him in a match with the likes of Triple H and Rock and Austin and Taker and Kane and Rikishi and people like that. And he just looks like a guy that's in good shape. But when you meet him in person, he's he's a mammoth. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Do you think, like, talking about that, do you think when you're, like, getting an opponent, do you prefer to mix it up with, like, someone who's matching you more physically? Or do you like, for the lack of a better terminology, throwing around the smaller
0: guy? No, I I, I probably do prefer working guys that are a little bit... I definitely like working guys that are a bit more my size. Because if they're smaller than me, I've just had that match so often. Because I am so much bigger physically than most people in the British scene... Nine times out of 10, I'm having a match with somebody where they're just going to take a lot of stuff from me. And I'm just going to stay on my feet and not have to, you know, really do much work, not really think outside the box that much, you know, stick to the same routine. I do prefer working people my size, but I'm not really fussed. Like I do like working everyone or genuinely like making the best. Out of a match, I can and whatever can you know entertain and wow a crowd as much as possible is you know my opponents as irrelevant as I am. It's it's about just having a good match and tell the right story. But you know specifically, really, my favorite people to wrestle, the people that I have the best chemistry with, are consummate wrestlers. Like somebody who's a really good wrestler who can actually wrestle. And knows loads of technical stuff, but also has a physique as well. Somebody who looks like an athlete who's also really impressive. So people that are like your sort of your Joel Redmonds and your Eddie Ryans and your Doug Williams and your Danny Duggins, they're the sort of people that I always seem to get the best reactions with. Cause it's it's we you know, there's a good story to tell there. And it's Just the spectacle, like, right? There's and the it's spectacle. the spectacle of it, yeah. It's somebody that it, it's two people the nine times out of 10, you expect to kick everybody else's ass. But then when you put us together, it's not Eddie Ryan versus Joel Redman, because that's a clash, you know, whereas my look is completely different. And I'm really dangerous from what the crowd believes. I'm really dangerous. Whereas they're superhero level sort of, you know, like beasts of wrestlers. And so I love having that match. That's my favorite match to have just somebody that can go and go and go and go and go and has got a million tricks up their sleeve, but also physically looks believable as somebody that could beat me. And then that makes me just have to pull out everything I can, work that bit harder. And just it just makes for a way more fun experience for me during the match. Whereas if I'm just wrestling another big guy that's a bit slow, you know, then... I can only do so much to speed the pace up, kind of stood there knocking him over, over and over again. That can get a bit monotonous as well, especially when you do it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I'm I'm always a fan of like the big guy wrestling. I know you said about maybe sometimes with the right opponent, you can get like a really athletic contest and stuff, or or maybe sometimes unfortunately it's finished, but I, I love to see like the, the bigger guys tear it up. I think a wrestling card should always have that variety on it. and. If yeah. you've got two big guys on it. And I mean, progress have got that pretty much every show at the moment with the Atlas division being so prominent. Um, I think it's somewhere where, you know, sure, guys hopefully, can
0: find sure, but but there's bigger guys and there's bigger guys. Like that yeah. Atlas belt, you know, I've got a little bit and a bit of a B in my bonnet about the Atlas belt because I appreciate the fact that Progress have it. And you know, it's obviously a belt that's been around for years, so it's a belt that re-exists the current ownership and Therefore, the current writing team and stuff like that. But, you know, there's like three or four people at Progress yeah. that fit the actual criteria for the yep. Atlas Championship. And so I just think either get more people in that fit the bill so that you've got a bigger division for the Atlas belt or have a different other belt at Progress, you know? I, I can't have disagree. Progress World title, have the tag titles have the tag team titles and then have a different second belt because yeah, like there's been some Atlas champions that aren't heavyweights and they know they're not heavyweights. So why have they got that belt, you know? And it's because they want to put a, they've done well enough to deserve a championship opportunity. They get a championship match, they win it. And it's just a, you know, it's just, it feels a little bit like a, what is it? A um, participation trophy, you know? (laughs) It's yeah. you're doing really well. So here's a belt because we can't make you progress champion at the moment. We've got to give you something else. Whereas that that progress belt, you know, there it rightfully so. There's only one of them. There's only one real progress championship, you know, whereas the Atlas title, you know, the best I've seen it. And it really sort of reinvigorated it was when Damo had it. When Demo had yeah. the, the Atlas championship, that's when it was like, OK, cool. Now that's, you know, I mean, Demo and the Atlas title, you go hand in hand. Do you know what I mean? He's like yeah. a globe of a human being. And <laughs> yeah. so am I. But like, who else? I'm literally asking you. You, na- you name anyone that you know at progress who's an Whoa. actual heavyweight. An Listen, actual heavyweight.
1: I'd say that maybe the previous, uh, the previous champion, Luke Jacobs, might maybe have a say in that. He's a a big boy no but um the current champion is Ricky Knight Jr right and he uh, falls a little below he's a,
0: he's he's a big boy and he's a tough son of a bitch as well and he's a great wrestler but he's not a heavyweight he's not even close he's not even close yeah. and he knows he's not he's just it's just not it's not who he is you know he's he, but he is he's he's a hell of a contender and hell of a wrestler i'm not not saying that Luke Jacobs isn't deserving of championship gold it just doesn't doesn't make sense to have him as the atlas champion when that's supposed to be a heavyweight belt
1: yeah and but he's also a—he was a cruiserweight like champion in other promotions. So he was maybe, a cruiserweight
0: champion yeah. in another promotion at the same time. He was Atlas champion, indeed. <laughs> but the thing is, Luke's not a cruiserweight either.
1: No,
0: you know. Um, so neither of them made sense. Luke Luke is just an absolute brawler and you know a machine and stuff. But I didn't—I didn't ever have a problem with with him having the Atlas Championship. You know. Yeah. It's not a problem. It's just a case of. It's not a case of who the champions are that's the problem. It's the case of you've pigeonholed what this belt's meant to be, and then there's not enough people to, to make that what it is. So change the belt or change who's going for it in the division.
1: Bullet, I make you right. And it's a chat that's or come up Or just change our what the Atlas
0: before. title stands for.
1: No, I, I actually don't disagree with you on this. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: I, I want to see the biggest and the best go head-to-head. And uh, yeah. I, I don't necessarily agree that it's been diluted at times. It's refreshing to hear And I'm sure it's a belt that you want to maybe bring some prestige to down the line. And maybe we'll get onto that down the road. Um, But I wanted to go into a wrestling journey a a little bit. I wanted to go into how it started and everything. And we'll go through that. But I was trying to do some research on on the longest back I could go. And uh, the furthest back I seem to be able to find for yourself, and I'm sure it's a lot longer, but this is what I could find, is December 2017 at a BCW show. Now, As I say, I'm sure the journey started well before that. Um, So just talk to us about how you sort of came in and uh, where Bullet was first born.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it was originally called BAWF, that promotion, and it was just local to me. So I went down and joined that group and it was just a closed group. It was just a bunch of mates who happened to have a ring and a hall that they could rent you know, once a week and put the ring. The ring originally was kept in um in one of the guy's mum's garages. And so we had to always, you know, it was it was getting there early to set the ring up to do a full session to then spend, you know, a good hour and a half getting the ring back down and back over to the to the garage. And I did try my hand at some proper training with a proper wrestling school, but I just wasn't I wasn't ready for it yet. So that didn't last very long. Then I stopped wrestling altogether for three and a half years got married and had some kids and then came back to it because somebody wanted to bring that promotion that had, was still called BAWF when it had stopped and um, they wanted to bring it back. So I went back and did it, but I just wanted a little bit more this time. Like I went back to wrestling a bit more a mature a person. I'd also got myself in pretty decent shape to get married. Like I would put on a lot of weight and so I lost loads of weight. And so when I went back to wrestling, I was just, I was just healthier. And so I was better at wrestling because I was healthier. And so I just I just wanted to branch out and see how I could, you know, I'd never given it a proper try when I was doing it before of like seeing if I was ever good enough to exist outside of that one little bubble. So I took a punt and it just paid off and it paid off immediately and it paid off really relatively really well. You know, I just went from only wrestling in one place to within three months I was wrestling in like five Um, and it's just built and built and built and built from there. And, you know, I've just met loads of people along the way and ended up where i am now
1: yeah and you seem to be obviously thriving right now so was that the that was bcw right you said that this was originally and it changed names
0: right and then bawf was what it was called and then when we yeah. brought it back there was a bawf goodbye show and then it got turned into bcw and got restarted as just something new
1: right the other promotion i had you down for like early doors uh in the bullet journey is that ewa
0: it's my home promotion that's what I call it right, okay. I call EWA my home promotion because EWA was the first people to book me essentially you know I got paid um yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't have definitely still wouldn't have called myself a pro when I got there but I got paid my first ever paid booking was with EWA and then EWA have always looked after me ever since and I still wrestle at EWA now but yeah because a lot of people you know when I meet sort of new people on the road and stuff they ask they always ask the same question of how long have you been wrestling for and I always find it a really awkward question to answer because I don't like it when people try and show off about the fact they've been wrestling 12 years, but they're not actually done anything in 12 years or (laughs) they're not actually at a standard that you would expect somebody to be after 12 years. And I've technically, if you count it from my first ever bump, I've been wrestling 14 years this year. But realistically, I've been wrestling properly since 2017 because all I was ever really doing was kind of play wrestling and doing it like or, or you know if you want to use the right terminology i was just doing it at an amateur level for most of the first yeah. part and then i sort of turned pro but then even with that like i said i just turning pro doesn't just necessarily mean getting paid i didn't really turn pro until like 2019 when i started wrestling and meeting and working with the right people that were able to guide me into being like this is what it takes to be a pro wrestler so yeah
1: so is EWA, I've got it down as being out from Wickham Way. So High Wickham, that, yeah. So is that like closer to home for you, or was it was it a bit of trouble? Yeah,
0: because I'm I'm from Marlow. I don't live in Marlow now. I live just outside Reading, but I'm from Marlow, and Marlow's like 1.2 miles away from High Wickham. Oh, okay. So, so that's so, the other reason why I yeah. call it hometown promotion because I've lived outside Reading for again 14 years. Because the reason why I went to that group originally was because I just moved to outside Reading and I was just that bit closer to Bracknell but I still consider myself a Marlowe person. You know, if I meet somebody that ask me where I'm from, I say Marlowe. If they ask me where I live, then I make yeah. the distinction that I live just outside Reading. But if they ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from Marlowe because that's where I grew up and lived until I was like 24.
1: So are you working as a fan favorite around there? Like are people cheering you wanting you to win yeah. those matches? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So is that, yeah. is that a different environment to how you're like seen generally? Like uh, do most crowds take you as a bad guy or a good guy or?
0: no it it flips and flops like only like a year and a half ago it was pretty much an even 50-50 split that like half the promotions i worked for i was a babyface and the other half i was a heel but what always happens is 9.9 times out of 10 is i come in as a heel and i get turned into a babyface relatively quickly or i just stay as a heel and it just it, it all varies on who's already in that promotion like with WrestleForce, I did two shows as a heel for WrestleForce and then I was a baby face because even as a heel, they were cheering me because I was different and cool. And, yeah. you know, and again, it's the size difference as well, you know, because WrestleForce has got big guys and has had big guys other than me, obviously. But most of the guys at WrestleForce were the sort of cruiserweight sort of looking guys. And I think that's what the crowd liked about seeing me and seeing me regularly because I was working for WrestleForce all the time was, you know, it was just like a different, it's just something different. So they, they cheered me even when I was doing bad things, but I'm really comfortable working either. I gen- genuinely am really comfortable working blue eye or or heel, but now, yeah, now I think there's two promotions where I work babyface. Yeah, and everywhere else I'm a heel.
1: Well, I mean, obviously there's that kind of traditional thing of big guys getting booked as heels, but I'm glad that you can uh, enjoy yourself and be a baby face as well in some promotions Uh, do you find it more challenging to get the crowd behind you is it easier to play the bad guy or like
0: it's way easier to play the bad guy but if i'm a baby face somewhere like i said because nine nine point nine times out of ten i've come in as a heel and then turned baby face as opposed to come in as a baby face it is quite a struggle to just come in as a baby face but no normally if i'm normally by this point if i am a baby face in a promotion it's because they already made the decision themselves that they liked me and that's what turned me babyface yeah so i don't find it hard to then keep that babyface sort of reaction and love from them because yeah. i don't change a lot about what i do as a babyface you know i still beat people up as a babyface the same way i beat them up as a heel it's just that exactly. the other person in the ring with me is just disliked
1: yeah, I suppose if you can garner that organic response with a crowd, like you say, it gives you uh, an opportunity to do that that kind of turn. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk specifically, and this is a personal one for me because he's the champion in my local promotion. Yeah. I was looking through your cage match at some of the guys you faced, and obviously it's an impressive list. But a guy I just wanted to give a little bit of love to is Corey McRae, who I've noticed you've wrestled a load of times in World War Wrestling.
0: Just once um, in World Wrestling.
1: Oh, was it just the once? I oh, know,
0: twice, twice, twice. Yeah, I wrestled so, him at the barn as well.
1: I'm in love with Corey. I think he's a fantastic wrestler. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on on Corey really and how good he is or, you know, your thoughts personally.
0: I really like Corey. Corey's a genuine pro. He takes the job really seriously and he takes what he does really seriously. And, you know, he really just has to make sure every time that he has a great match. And so he's, yeah, he's driven and he's talented. Yeah, I I really rate Corey a lot and I really enjoy wrestling him as well I thought me and him had really good chemistry too and we had a banger of a match at World Wrestling in the hall like I said we had one at the um crowdless one at the barn that World Wrestling filmed just coming towards the end of the pandemic like after we were allowed to like be around people again but you know you weren't allowed to do like full events and stuff we had a match there, which was the first time we touched, but what we ended up doing in the second match when it was for a number one contender spot was, yeah, I'm still to this stage really, really happy with that match. And yeah, Corey was, Corey was a fantastic guy to, to wrestle for that match to be as good as it was.
1: Oh, well, I'm glad I've got him over because I've been pushing to get him on the podcast. And uh, I just think he's phenomenal. He's championing my local promotion Ignite. And I always enjoy his work. Okay. And I'm going to have to go and search out that match. You speak about guys that, you know, have enjoyed wrestling. You say about Corey, I mean, You've wrestled some legends. I see Doug Williams is on the list. Is there anyone else on that list that were dream opponents and that you've already ticked off?
0: Yeah. So when I, when, like I said earlier, like I did do a little bit of like actual training school training at VPW. And after I stopped going there, I still kind of kept a sort of loose look on what was going on at VPW or um, other proper wrestling schools that I could have gone to and, Stuff like that, And one of the people that I obviously came across and saw was Eddie Ryan, because I came very close to going down to 4FW in Swindon, because again, it's not too far from Reading, but I wasn't ready again. So I just, I wasn't ready for that. So I'd never ended up going, but I saw that Eddie Ryan always did really well and came out of 4FW and went off to do big things. Like he got a couple of matches with NXT and he went over to Japan a couple of times. And so he was one of the first people that I got to wrestle that really stepped my game up. Like he just pulled me like aggressively up to his level, like in all the right ways. And I don't mean, aggressively like he was, <laughs> you know, nasty about anything, but like he really did. He just like dragged me kicking and screaming to be like, you've got you've, he saw something in me and he's like, you've got something and I'm going to get it out of you. And he did. And he really helped me like sort of go up a good few levels. And then, other person was you already mentioned doug but i don't want to just brush over doug like yeah doug doug was a huge one for me because i was a huge fan of his when he was in tna doing the british invasion thing um me and a couple of my mates we all talked about how great we thought doug williams was and watching him in tna made me then go and watch his ring of honor stuff and a couple of his noah matches as well and i just really rated him and then i just i got to meet him sooner than i thought and then i got to work him because I didn't think I was going to get the chance to, because when I met Doug, he'd actually had his first retirement or however many retirements he's had by now. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've met a couple of them. (laughs) Yeah. So he, he he had stopped and was certain he wasn't going to come back, but then the pandemic happened and, you know, he's always carried like British wrestling and the success of British wrestling on his back. It's the reason why he's so well loved and respected is because of what he did to help keep British wrestling alive and important and, So when the pandemic happened, he noticed that before the pandemic wrestling was British wrestling was in such a boom that he was like, just in case we come out of the pandemic and that boom has been destroyed by this pandemic, he put his boots and his trunks back on and came back to play a part in being like, you know, the pandemic's over, get back to wrestling shows. And so I was blessed with the opportunity to wrestle him a couple of times now. And yeah, so that was a real big one for me and to win doug over and get his respect was was a real real probably probably is still even now my crowning achievement in wrestling so far is to have worked doug and have doug you know enjoy working me yeah. um and then the other one was joel Redman as well because in the three and a half years that i wasn't wrestling every so often i'd go to the occasional show uh, mainly because somebody else wanted to go and they just naturally asked me because I did it or had done it. So I went with them and I did see Joel Redman on a on a show down in Eastbourne, I think it was. And yeah, I was just blown away by, by him and just how good he was. And so he was the last one for me to meet of the three that I've named as well. And that relationship has gone on to be that Joel is now my mentor and I helped run a training school with him. Oh, awesome. So... Yeah, that's just been an incredibly humbling and, yeah, just unexpected thing to happen. You know, I just, this, the, the thing is now I'm at a point in, in what I'm doing in wrestling where just everything's a bonus because I've already gone beyond the the goals that I set for myself. Yeah. Like well beyond the goals that I set for myself. And so now everything that happens is just extra sure Um, and I don't plan on changing that either I don't plan on being like right let's set myself some new goals then let's aim higher again no I'm 37 so I've still got quite a few years left to wrestle but I don't have my prime years left to wrestle in so I am just going to enjoy whatever comes next so you
1: say about um I realize you've literally just said you're not setting goals but um, it would be silly of me not to ask if you didn't have opponents that you still had on a, a bucket list, if you will. Is there anyone on that list that you feel like you still need to wrestle?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I tagged with Will Cruz the other day.
1: Uh, does he count as an Atlas Division contender for you?
0: 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And I really want... Uh, we had a great tag match with each other. It was the two of us against Eddie Ryan and Joel Redman. Fracker, what a great bit of fun that was. Just, a, yeah. And that just got thrown together last minute, and it was really great. But I I haven't had the chance to wrestle Will myself yet, so I'd really like to wrestle Will. There's still a lot of talk about it eventually coming down to me versus Demo, and in a couple of Fridays at For the Love of Wrestling, the Progress Show in Manchester on I think Friday the 28th, I think it is. It's me with Dominio Artisranium, which is. The name of the faction that is me, Spike, and, or let me word that again, Spike, myself, (laughs) and the Aces, the Smoking Aces, Charlie Sterling and Nick Riley. And we're against um, Sanity, so Damo and Axel Tisha, and Sunshine Machine. It's an eight-man tag. Do you think it's going to be
1: a little tease of something to come, maybe?
0: It it better be. It better be, because (laughs) I'm obviously going to be looking to win that match with my team and for my team. But my my eyes are you know, my sights are locked in on Demo. He's the one who I have my eye on is Demo. I know the Aces have got their eyes on Sunshine Machine because they're still the tag champs. And Smoke and Aces are planning on changing that as soon as they can and getting those progress tag titles back. And, you know, Axel's already lost to Spike once and Spike wants to do it again. So I I'm going to be lining myself up to make sure that Demo doesn't get in the, the Ace's way of beating up Sunshine Machine or get in Spike's way of beating up Axel Tisha. Um, Yeah, I can only speak personally. That match sings to me. I would love mm, to see that. Yeah, I think everyone who watches Progress wants to see Bullet versus Demo by this point. And then the other one as well, because it wasn't really ever on a list, because I just, again, where I didn't set my goals to... Not too high or particularly high was. I never thought I'd really ever come across Car in a while, let alone work him. And I've wrestled Tom Dawkins, but I really want to wrestle Car in a while now. I want to be in the ring and drink in that entrance, yeah, and then batter him
1: <laughs> and break the
0: fans' hearts again because I've done it twice now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was I was there when you when you beat Tom Dawkins, and uh, there was someone let the air out of the room, let's say, and that person was you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I wanted to cycle back just slightly and talk about something you were saying, you know, getting that momentum when you were rolling with the bullet character and then, of course, lockdown happening. Was that like, it was tough for every wrestler, I'd imagine, you know, not being able to work properly. Like, was it a really, like, shitty period generally? Like, how did you cope with that, kind of having that momentum and then it kind of stopping?
0: Uh, So I did worry about it. I worried about my momentum slowing down and feeling like I was going to potentially have to start again. But it wasn't it. No, it wasn't hard for me at all, because, I mean, this is the other reason why my goals are set to like a realistic standard. And now I'm just enjoying myself and, you know, doing doing this just for the enjoyment of it and whatever comes next. I still work like, you know, like I'm trying to be the main event of WrestleMania you know i still work like i'm trying to accomplish that but i'm you know i'm not ruining my mental health by setting up these big lofty heights that are just you know going to break me if i don't achieve them and the reason for that is because i've achieved so much of what i wanted to achieve in life anyway because i'm happily married with two beautiful boys two lovely kids so got two sons so That's what saved me during lockdown. You know, I did see a few people, not too many, thankfully, but I did see a few people really get broken by lockdown. And, you know, it wasn't nice, but I'm not a grief leech. At the end of the day, I didn't struggle during lockdown. I, you know, I'm very lucky about where I live. I live in a very nice house with my wife and my kids. And so being off for three and a half months, like just nobody going to work or going anywhere for three and a half months, it didn't feel like prison being locked in my house with my wife and two children. And I was already starting to get quite busy in wrestling before lockdown. And so it was refreshing to just be home all the time because I felt like I was never home because I was at work doing my shoot job during the week and then just not home at the weekends. And that's even worse now. I mean, you know, now I'm, I'm at work all week and I'm wrestling every single weekend for at least two of the days, really, which I'm not complaining about at all. But yeah no lockdown really wasn't that bad for me like i said i did i did get slightly nervy that it was going to come back and certain promotions that i was really enjoying working at maybe wouldn't come back because they'd you know been banking on being able to carry on doing shows and therefore because they didn't get to do those shows they had to kind of give up and go we're actually bankrupt now so we can't we can't bring it back yeah or people would have been away during lockdown and thinking actually do you know what I want to change the direction I was going in with things and therefore that means I don't get used I had those sort of um, anxieties that I think every single wrestler had but it didn't bother me that much because being able to get that much family time and get paid to do it was amazing Oh, it was I'm amazing
1: glad I'm glad to hear because um, obviously some wrestlers like you know, stepped away, some wrestlers maybe returned and stuff. So it's 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 good to hear that you had a real wholesome experience during that time. Um, so yeah. we come back from lockdown and the momentum starts to build again. And then how did the progress relationship kind of start? Like, when did that begin to blossom? Was it before lockdown or was it coming out of the lockdown?
0: No, well after lockdown.
1: Well after, right.
0: Well after lockdown. So I don't really know. Thing is, this is the thing about wrestling. You tend, you tend to be, when when something's happening with you, you tend to be the last one to know about it. and so like I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they were like sort of saying you know we've had you on our radar for a while because we knew that we knew the progress were interested in you and obviously they're now using you and we knew and I'm not going to say all the places he said but he named some other places that he'd heard were interested in me and I'd never heard that I said well where did you hear that (laughs) because I never heard that and so I don't know how long I was on progress's radar for I obviously know who was already at Progress, who already knew me. And that's what made that's what's made the transition of going to Progress really nice, is that I've only really met a handful of new people from going to Progress, whereas there were so many people at Progress that I'd already come into contact with outside of Progress and other shows. But I guess it's also a case of, you know, everyone's got their own sort of uh, amount of self-consciousness. And so Progress and RevPro and any other promotion don't assume ever that everyone wants to work for them so i never made myself i never put myself toward forward for progress i never messaged progress and said can i come you know can i send you some stuff Who I? I never reached out to progress so for all i knew progress was just like aware of me but didn't even know whether i wanted to work for them because they just assumed well if he wanted to work for us he would have reached out by now and he hasn't and so then eventually one day roy johnson was doing um another everything pattern show
1: Oh, yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm friends with Rory. And so I'm friends with also a couple of the other people that are on the show, like Jordan Saeed and Mercedes Blaze and number one of them all, my homeboy himself, Alexander Roth. And so I went to just go and support them and then yeah. told Dan Maloney, who was unfortunately booked elsewhere that day. So wasn't wasn't on uh, Everything Patterned. But, you know, I knew Dan. So I told Dan, like, oh, I'm going to go to the Everything Patterned show. And he told me, you know, you want to look out for this guy. And he described him and said, his name's James. So I went and spoke. I, I introduced myself to James. And then I introduced myself to Lee McAteer as well and Martin Best. And then because I was there, my name got mentioned and thrown around in a couple of creative meetings, I think. And then word kind of went out of, you know, thinking of bringing Bullet in, trying to figure out what we want to do. And then... Again, it was actually Dan Maloney who said, I'm doing a show in, I think it's pronounced Ely, isn't it? Just E-L-Y? Yeah, I think so. So there's a show in Ely, you should come along. And I was like, okay. So I wasn't doing anything that day. So I went to that show. And unfortunately, it was the day that Warren Banks' shoulder really went when he had to take all this time off. Yeah, Yeah, of course. That he's just come back from. Um, It was on the day that his shoulder really just went and he was like, I need to stop now because my shoulder is is done and I need to I need to get it fixed. So I took Warren Banks's place on that show and therefore wrestled. And it wasn't the first time I'd wrestled in front of Spike Trevay, but it was the it was, you know, it was the first time I'd wrestled in front of Spike for like a year or two. And so I think that's the reason why I got called there, really, was for for Spike to just be like, I think if I think if Warren Banks hadn't pulled out, they would have given me something else to do. Mm -hmm. so spike took a look at me there and then you know then i got invited to come to progress and have a chat and so then when i came and had the chat um it was you know just throwing around ideas about what i them asking me more than anything like what do you think you want to do here and things like that and then after that show that's when spike after the show i got invited to that's when spike reached out to me and asked me would you be interested in looking after me and um i said yes straight away yeah
1: you'd be a fool not to right i mean a guy like spike making you a proposal like that yeah Um. so you you align yourself with spike and the final question i wanted to ask about this kind of background and weigh in because we're getting close now towards the chapter and i wanted to go through the the match and stuff you've aligned yourself with spike now obviously spike gets arguably the most vociferous sort of response (laughs) anyone's had from a progress crowd um how have you found like a backlash on yourself like do you find the Progress fans have been a bit unfair to you? Like, do you, how do you feed off the, to call it negativity, that the Progress fans have just thrown on you from your association with Spike?
0: No, come on, man. <laughs> come on, <laughs> be real about it. Like, I'd have to be, every villain should find, you know, that they're doing the right thing. and And I genuinely do feel like I'm doing the right thing that I should be doing. I think yeah. that Spike's got a message that everyone needs to hear. And if I can help him tell that, like, get that message across and make it clear, then I'm well up for doing that. But I'm not stupid. Like we do things the way we feel we have to to get the point across and to make people realize the things that Spike wants them to realize. And so, no, I don't feel like there's a negativity towards me. I think that there's the appropriate response towards me. And that's the reason why Spike chose me to do it as opposed to everybody else. Is because I can take that, I can take that flack and I can, you know, put myself in his way when when I need to, and when he needs me to, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel like uh, there's any sort of reaction that we've got that's ever been unjust, okay. but it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any difference to what we plan to do next, and then what we plan to do after that, you know, you know, the crowd's never going to get in our way.
1: Yeah, I suppose I meant it more in the sense of. Um you know, the progress crowd uh, of past and maybe of present now have this relationship of of being a crowd that, you know, get really behind or really against heels and faces and good guys and bad guys. Sure. Like, um, have you felt like it's been um, a step up? Like, uh, does it deserve the kind of praise it's gotten in the past? Like, do you feed off that? Do you find it a, a special arena, the ballroom? Like, for this? And obviously,
0: will be in the ballroom. hundred I love, percent. I love being at the ballroom. I haven't been anywhere with Progress that wasn't great. Every venue that we've that we've put on a show has been fantastic. And the thing that's fantastic about it is, is that Progress has got this great wide stretch about where they, you know, put on shows all over the country. Yes, the electric ballroom is the is obviously the home venue, but you know, we can go all the way up to Manchester, all the way across to Cardiff, up to Birmingham, Sheffield, places like that. And everyone knows what's happening, you know you can have a promotion that only ever performs in the same venue in the same town and people who come to a show will come to the next show and be expected to remember the storyline that was happening on the last show. And they don't, they don't remember. Mm. Whereas you could be dealing with a load of stuff that's happened solely at the ballroom for the last three shows in a row. But then you take the the crew up to Sheffield and everyone in Sheffield knows what happened on the last three shows. Because yeah. they follow it and they're passionate about it and they're into it and they're behind it and they're up for it as well. And so, yeah, like the crowd of Progress is fantastic. They really are. They really are. I've been in other, I've been in so many different venues now. And, you know, at the end of the day as well, Progress is a is an adult show, right? Yeah. Essentially, it's 14 plus. So it's an adult show and adult shows are really difficult to get a genuine reaction out of. Mm-hmm and in some adult shows they're really hard to get a reaction out of full stop because they're just people that come for their own agenda they just come to shit on it and take the piss out of it and what good is that to anyone whereas the progress crowd are so into it they're just solidly behind they they've got so many different favorites they've got people who they genuinely dislike you know Obviously, some of the people shout and scream at you with a smile on their face because they they love to hate you. But there are some people that are just really angry. There's been a couple of occasions now where I've been at ringside with Spike. And when he gets the one, two, three, you just see people throw their arms up in the air and leave. Just walk out, just walk out the ballroom because they only bought a ticket to watch him lose. And he yeah. didn't again. And so because he didn't again, they just leave. They're like, well, this was a waste of time. And it wasn't because they'll be back next time. (laughs) They'll be back next time.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great uh, segue to lead on to uh, the main event of what I wanted to talk about today. And that is building up the hype for the next progress show. Chapter 151, Heavy Metal. And it's, of course, going to be headlined by this uh, monumental cage match which i've um i've not seen have you ever been at a show bullet where there's been a cage match before
0: yes yes i have yeah
1: oh okay how how does the the kind of mechanics of setting a cage up and everything work at
0: like you need a big crew yeah yeah you need more people than usual you need a big crew so anyone listening to this who is a uh wrestler an up-and-coming wrestler who wants to try and get into progress and you're thinking about coming along and working crew This show is the show to do it on because they will need all hands on deck for that cage match. So if you want to get noticed being a strong, helpful member of the team, this is the show to get yourself down there. That's the way around it. You know, you expect two people to put a cage up, then the crowd are going to have to leave, go and get some dinner and come back.
1: Absolutely. And I'm fascinated to see how that cage is going to look in the ballroom. I'm super excited for it. let's go back to the start of this story then and i'll bring you in when your points come in bullet but i'll talk a bit before about the stuff that happened pre your existence in this storyline so we had spike during the peckham era of course going on his his unbeaten run and Carr ignoring those requests for a title match back then
2: <clears throat> hello mr noir now i don't know if you know this but um I actually boast a uh, bit of a win streak here in progress. Five nil, actually. That's the best win-loss record in modern progress history. And even you, our king, can't boast that, can you? No. So, I think it's about time that we gave everybody at home and me what we want. And give you a nice little title shot of that lovely belt that you wear quite disgustingly around your neck. So what do you say, champ?
1: Of course Spike and Cara had feuded in other promotions, but within the progress sphere of things, you know, Spike being 5-0 and not receiving his title match. I'm sure he's probably spoken to you privately since, Bullet. but I'm sure that got in his craw, right? The, the fact he was being overlooked by Cara as early as then.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely.
1: We go from that and and he starts taking DQ losses to the likes of Harry Singh, you know, just saying that the wins don't mean anything. So he's going to put the younger talent over. And, you know, we, we realise that in this situation, of course, Spike is being facetious. He's not really meaning what he says. And, and this feud with Cara goes on. Now, I'm trying to find the point at which you first get involved here, Bullet, and, and we start hearing your story. And it's uh, Spike v Cara not main eventing the show because Spike's saying that it doesn't deserve to main event. The match ending Mm -hmm. in a double DQ. And on my notes, it says you're physically holding Cara back in the images that the person putting these notes together has seen.
0: So do you remember this
1: moment? Do you remember this match? Do you remember what you were
0: thinking then? Uh, Yeah. So I clearly wasn't holding Spike back. I was holding Cara back. And that was intentional. A lot of people have got this skewed version of how things went for me at Progress. And that's that I worked crew until I got an opportunity with Spike. That's not the case at all. I got asked by Spike to be with him. And so, therefore, I started working crew because then I can do things without making it too obvious until it's time to strip that curtain away and go, where did the bottle get... Why was there a bottle left? I know you're going to get to this in a second, but <laughs> why was there a huge guy working crew for once instead of someone tiny the day that he wrestles Cara Noir? There you go. Me. That's why. (laughs) And then what followed that was when I was still working crew, in air quotes, when he turned up in a hoodie and was able to pull a glass bottle out from under the ring and smash Dan Maloney over the back of the head with it. Who left a bottle under the ring?
1: It's all coming together.
0: (laughs) Right? And then it actually goes back as early as well. that If you go back and watch the footage of Super Strong Star Weekend, when it was Cara versus... Spike in the main event when they had the death match essentially. Yeah, and do you remember how Spike won that match?
1: Uh, I have got it on the notes, but I'd like you to remind the listener of how that. Okay,
0: ended. the way Spike got Carinawar to speak for the first time ever in progress history and say the words "I quit" was because he put his foot on the back of Claire Dawkins' neck, raised a chair above her head and told Caranoir he was going to decapitate her unless he quit. So he did. And if you go back and watch the footage of that, the crew person who is stood on the side of the hall where Spike went into the crowd and got Claire Dawkins out from the crowd and dragged her to the ring, there are five people who try to grab Claire and stop Spike from doing it. And I am the one who steps in their way and stops them from being able to get to Claire and save her leaving spike a clear path to take her to the apron and put his foot on the back of her neck none of this was by accident
1: <laughs> i literally have in the notes bullet front and center so i'm mm. glad you uh, elaborated on that and uh, it didn't escape our attention in hindsight of course at the time these are small things we're not noticing of course but
0: no you're 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 looking at poor claire with a boot on the back of her neck
1: exactly Um So am I right in thinking that the next involvement is the Spike versus Drew Parker match?
0: Yeah, that was when we took the curtain away. That's when we revealed that I was with him, yeah.
1: So talk to us about that moment and the reaction you would have got
0: in that moment. Um Just confusion, because we'd been so smart with how we'd hidden all the ways that I helped Spike before that, that um it was quite funny because I'd get really nice feedback from the, you know, the higher-ups at Progress, where fans were going to Lee and Martin, Jack, who's the head of the crew, and James and saying, just complimenting just how good I was uh, helping them. You know, if there are obviously quite a few moments in matches where the crowd are asked to move because somebody's about to get launched into them. And I had a very, very, you know, efficient way of politely, but, you know, um, clearly asking people to move, and they'd move. And then I would help them find their belongings that had been thrown across the room or landed on, or I'd help get them a new chair because it had got broken, the one they were sitting on. And I played the part very well of a really, really valuable member of the crew. And so when I finally just, when it was me of all people that jumped in there and tipped Drew Parker off the top of the ladder and then slammed him into some thumbtacks, it was just pure confusion you know the crew didn't move they just stood there and and looked at me and then when i just looked back at them they couldn't move they were frozen on the spot and you can hear it on the commentary they were just like why is why is this happening why is he doing this because i was the last person you suspected to just suddenly stop what i was doing and do something like that and then once it sunk in then the booze really shone through because that, that crowd, again, because they're so into it, that progress crowd, they knew the history of Drew Parker and Spike Treve, yeah. And that Spike now, to this day, has a giant scar down his thigh from a match he'd had with Drew Parker years ago. He has to wear that now forever. And so the crowd, who hate Spike as much as they do, really wanted to see Drew Parker take another pound of flesh from Spike Treve, And I took that away from them as well.
1: You know what? <laughs> Within the sphere of what you presented to me, I can see your point of view. Uh, Mm. It's a very fair point that you make. I've also got in the notes here that the crowd were chanting, who the
0: fucking hell are you? Uh, I don't know if you remember that. I remember a couple of them and I remember a couple of fuck you bullets because there was plenty of people in the crowd that knew who the fuck I was.
1: Oh, there you go. And I'm sure that's just ammunition, right? That's fuel down the line. Yeah. Um, So then uh, I've got the next match on here is that uh, Spike uses your help against Doris in Manchester.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, Birmingham. and
1: at this point, you're obviously it's part of the plan, right? You're you're carrying on keeping Spike uh, in charge. Or from your point of view, what is the the benefit for yourself from from these
0: actions? Well, by this point, Spike was already champion, so it was just always about keeping the the progress championship on Spike. And so, yeah, it was in Birmingham, not Manchester, that he wrestled. Derice,
1: right? Okay,
0: he wrestled Dan Maloney in, home in Manchester. Crowd, sorry. Yeah, it was the hometown boy, man like Doris. and um, that was great. That was my first match where I was with him from entrance to exit, you know.
1: And then after this, we go into matches with the likes of Mike Bird and Dan Maloney. Mm. Yeah. Spike, you know, retaining again. And then the the Gresham match, which I remember being really shocked that you were up on the balcony, right? Yeah. Pain in hand. I I hadn't spotted you myself. Um, Was that, again, was that a pre-planned Spike bit of tactics, yourself's tactics? Yeah. And uh, is that the same show where you destroy Tom Dawkins, right?
0: It is, yes. I came and helped Spike beat Jonathan Gresham in the first half and then murderized Tom Dawkins in the second half. Murderized,
1: I like it. In terms of matches you've had in progress, was that your debut?
0: It was my debut against Tom, yeah.
1: How was that as like an experience, you know, obviously with the position you're in, but like getting to just, you know, murder Tom Dawkins in four minutes, was that fantastic?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It really was, you know... At the end of the day, it's been, it's been the case for some time now, but to have your first match against, frankly, Prince Progress, right? Yeah. That's what Kara is. He is Prince Progress. And to come in against him on your debut and then run through him Goldberg style... And, you know, especially when there wasn't a single person in the room that day that thought that that's how it was going to go. Because even (laughs) if they didn't expect Tom to win, they didn't expect him to lose clean. They thought there'd be some sort of shenanigans with Spike, but there wasn't. I just battered him.
1: Yeah. And I remember in the promo afterwards, Cara alluding to the fact that he didn't feel like it was home. Well, at that point, Tom, of course, not Cara. Um, Mm. Tom saying that, you know, Simon was right, and that obviously was a was a bit of a moment where Simon was used instead of Spike, which uh, I'm sure didn't sit well, yeah.
0: No, it was outrageous. That wasn't part of the deals. Spike hasn't done anything to lose his name. Yeah. What, what what match did Tom Dawkins win to allow him to call Spike Trevay by his legal name?
1: So I'm getting from that tone that obviously that was a, a big deal, right, to Spike, right? Oh, he, he wasn't
0: doing yeah. that.
1: No, no. And then we go to the next chapter, and... uh we have Damo getting a visual pin on Spike, but then yourself coming in with, uh, as you said earlier, the Claymore, or if you like, a version of the Swan Woo, if you're really going to play into the story.
0: No, it's a Claymore. The Swan Woo is a double drop kick to the chest. The Claymore is one foot to the face.
1: I'm going to uh, have a word with the guys. Put the notes together for me. Uh, apologies there, Bullet. That's right, mate. And then we have Chapter One Four Eight: Bullet fighting Ring Crew during the Spike v Money main event. Yep. Yourself and Money and yourself and Spike. I apologise. Uh, then chaining Money to the ropes and going back to the Spike beatdown of Cara at the Garage chapter a long way back.
2: Gene fighting his way out, but
1: Bullet pulling him back across the neck with touch
2: Here and he means business, he's saved his friends. When I was away at Christmas, when I was away in Japan, I realized a few things. And one of the biggest things was fuck I got robbed. You took my identity, you got piggybacked to the top by this dickhead. Yes. You wanted to be me. Because you fucking hate yourself. Oh. I want him.
1: And then we got towards the match with Dawkins wanting to get his, you know, his Cara persona back. And we start building towards that.
0: Between that was the tag match of Spike and I versus Gene Money and Tom Dawkins. And that was also in Manchester.
1: Yeah, I literally had that as the next one. Yeah. All right. Uh, on my list. Uh, I did also have, and again, I didn't put the notes together, uh, that apparently there was a Bullet is a Bitch chant. Um, I'm not sure if that rings a bell. Don't antagonise yourself.
0: No, I don't remember hearing that at all. So if somebody was saying it, somebody wasn't saying it loud enough for anyone to notice, (laughs) it's probably the person that said it, that wrote that into you.
1: (laughs) And then we go to chapter one. Which, by the
0: way, is a bitch move.
1: I wouldn't necessarily disagree. We get to chapter 149 and we get... Bullet and Spike versus G Manning and Tom Dawkins here. And is this the formation of the current stable, right?
0: Yep, Dominatus Rainium.
1: I'm glad you said it because I knew I was going to butcher that name. Yeah. You see, a wise <laughs> man
2: once said that a fool wears his heart on the sleeve and a wise man has money in his pocket and has friends in high places and any other superfluous thing that you wish to account to this. Dominus Rainium, it means Loosely translated as the Tyrant's Kingdom. And before you, that is what you see. The one-man armory bullet, the Smoking Aces, and the Vulture, the Sovereign Lord, Spike Trevay, the Progress (coughs) Men's World Champion. (laughs) Progress Wrestling Locker Room. I don't care who you are, you are officially on notice. Every single one of you is in danger from Dominatus Renium.
1: Do you want to talk for a second about the Smoking Aces guys? I know we touched on them earlier and you saying them still chasing gold, but just about those guys in general and how good they've been. I felt they were actually disrespected a lot by the progress crowd. I'm not surprised that they took this move in a way. Um, How are they,
0: those guys? They are two of my favourite people. So I've spent quite a bit of time now just outside of wrestling with Charlie and Nick. And yeah, we've got the same philosophy towards wrestling and they are two of the most talented people I've ever met and yeah you're absolutely spot on that they have been disrespected by the progress crowd because don't get me wrong everyone's got their right to have favorites for the reasons they have their favorites but um bottom line is you know Sunshine Machine are great O one two ones great Sanity we're about to see how great they are again Lycos Gym's great god what what are some other tag teams that come through progress regularly
1: I mean yeah it's a a really good division right
0: now but bottom line is that the aces are the best out of all of those tag teams and they might not be popular but that's fine you can boo them if you don't like them but don't boo them for no reason and you know have some respect for them at least whereas you know they really were almost cast aside because when they lost those tag belts as well they had a couple of opportunities to win them back and then when they joined us, it was because they were there and Spike and I spoke to them while they were there. And they did want to speak to us as well, because of the fact that it was their first match back in like six months, Mm. six months, they'd been gone. And that was, you know, I hate to admit it, but to a certain extent, that's just how much the progress crowd can influence the Booker's Pencil sometimes. And, you know, they came to us and, we planned to go to them anyway. It was just, it was just perfect synergy. It just made sense to both sides, to Spike and to the Aces. And I was just more than happy to to see them and and join up with them because you know Nick and Charlie are you know genuinely my friends outside of this business. So
1: yeah, they're they're yeah. a fantastic tag team, and we were always championing them in that feud. Where I think all all three tag teams were. Beloved, you know, none of them were, as you could say, heels or whatever. And the Sunshine Machine, the 012 one, had a, a string of excellent matches. But we always found it really strange that they got smoking our soul chance without ever, you know, doing anything to really warrant it. And uh, Ross is from yeah. Bristol and he'd seen them a lot in Chaos, his is local, and uh, he got us all on board with them. So, yeah, unfortunately, as much as I don't want to agree, I'll always cheer, uh, cheer the good guys and, and boo the bad guys. I can see why the Aces got a bit peeved with that crowd. Sure. Um, And that leads us to this point, you know, where Kara, of course, at the last chapter, 150, coming back to Progress Cara Noir, and and it leads us into this cage match, this mouth-watering match and kind of end of the story, first cage match in progress.
2: And I was afraid. I was afraid that a man like me wouldn't be able to carry a title like this, wouldn't be able to walk this through the world, if the black swan walked in that same world. What I didn't mean to happen was for you to show everybody who I really am. People know my real name. They chanted at me. They saw me fall to the black swan. You hold a victory over the progress men's world champion and we all know what has to happen now do you know what i've realized is that every time that we have fought it's been about you because all i wanted to do was destroy you take everything from you leave you with nothing but this time it's about me if i can't beat tom If I can't beat Cara Noir on my own for this, then I don't want it. I would rather walk through this world with nothing than live in your shadow.
1: I think I know which way you're going to go, Bullet, but I was going to ask you if you had a prediction for the way this cage match is going to go.
0: Yeah, uh, my prediction is, is exactly what it is. It's the end. That's it.
1: The
0: end of Cara Noir? No, it's the end of Spike and Cara Noir. This is the final chapter. No matter what happens, this is the end. It might not be the end of me and Cara because I still want a piece of that feather, but <laughs> this is the end. Regardless of what happens, this is how it ends. Two birds in a cage. I
1: this mean, is I... the end.
0: Yeah. So I don't need to even sell it. I don't need to say, you know, don't miss it this is the end because that show is already completely sold out yeah and we all know why and the reason why is because this is the final chapter of the cara noir versus the lord spike trevay storyline this is it this is where all roads lead to it's led to two birds in a cage and one will leave and one will stay in there
1: well, it didn't need selling, but you've still done a pretty good job of, of getting me excited. Uh, like you say, a sold-out crowd. It's fantastic for progress that we're going to have this sort of atmosphere. The story might end on that night, of course, as we've said. But as you mentioned earlier, there is an eight-man tag around the corner as well. Uh, yeah, we just the following Friday, five days later. And you said about, you know, settling some scores with Damo as well, or at least trying to get something going there. Um, I'd imagine uh, Manchester crowds as well. I've been in a couple. Um Big fan of wrestling crowds up there as well?
0: Yes, I am. Yeah, I do like wrestling up in the up in the north. Yeah, those those crowds, they are different. And I can't really put my finger on why, to be honest, but they are. They are different. And I do enjoy wrestling in front of those crowds. Liverpool and Manchester were really good crowds to wrestle in front of.
1: Well, listener, I'm, I'm not sure if there's still tickets for Manchester, but I'm hoping there is. Uh, you can go and see Bullet and Damo get it on bullet and Cara, maybe getting it on as well all eight of those guys are going to absolutely kill it and it'll be a great card around it um bullet i think we've done a an okay job if not a good job yourself you've done a great job uh, Mm. of building up uh, this progress card but i think it's come to the time where you need to plug yourself and and tell us where we can find you on the online sphere
0: so it's at bullet benno with two n's um and bullet is spelled with an i not an e um, and, and it's at Bullet Beno for Twitter and Instagram. And then my Facebook is Bullet Pro Wrestler. And that's it. That's where you can find me. The most consistent place that I keep on top of. And if you want to keep on top of what I'm doing is is Instagram. I'm getting better at Twitter. But I just, yeah, I feel like an old man when it comes to Twitter. It's almost like I just don't even know how it works. But I'm I'm trying to improve on that because, you know, you're going to see me popping up in a few new places soon. I'm debuting in a few places soon, and the reason why I'm getting on top of my Twitter is because they're for promotions that a lot of what they do is more Twitter-based than it is Facebook or Instagram-based. So I'm trying to get better at my Twitter. But yeah, I've got a surprise coming up soon that I can't talk about, but I'm going to be debuting somewhere extremely soon. And then, yeah, I just recently went back to Southwest Wrestling, which was great um it's been a while since i've been there it was good to go back ewa has a show on the 27th of may over in high wycombe yeah i'm keeping on going really i mean there's way more coming up soft pro
1: okay so, and so i say about um the online sphere do you want to just give a shout out to any of the other matches then you've got coming up any other promotions that people should be getting tickets for
0: i mean all of them <laughs> all of them really we talk about it being the final chapter of Cara versus spike. It's the final chapter on the, I think the first of May or the fourth of May, something like that. the The first May Bank Holiday Monday um, at the Bedford in Balham. Um It's the final match between me and Arcadius for the EWE Heavyweight Championship. Either I will retain and stay champion for another fifteen hundred days. I've been champion, something like that. Now, or there'll be a new champion. But I think we all know how that one's going to go but he will not be getting another shot at me again after that match. Um, He's had enough chances and he's just never pulled out the goods. He's just not good enough. So, And then, yeah, there's also, you you can still catch me on All Star. If you want to come and see sort of your local family-friendly shows, I still wrestle for All Star regularly. And then, yeah, Soft Pro is still doing things. We just recently did one of these. They're going to have bigger and smaller shows we just recently did one of the smaller shows the other week that went great great crowd great reactions great matches all the way through the card and i've got um a separate thing going on there in a group called the collective which is made up of me leighton buzzard la taylor danny duggan and kelly six so we've got some exciting things coming up with that group and the messages we're going to be getting out there and the things we're going to be doing there god i just can't think of everyone there's too many to think of but yeah all good things, I'm just very busy. And so it's all muddling into one at the moment.
1: Oh, excellent. Uh, well, I'm sure, yeah, you'd rather be busy than not, right? So this is all good sure. stuff. So but check the socials and yeah. and, the next, and just the ne- see.
0: The next two big things for me is making sure that Spike wins that cage match, even though I'm not involved. And then once Caranoir has been dealt with, finally, it's then on to Dominatus Rainium, planting their flag well and truly in the middle of the progress ring against Sanity and Sunshine Machine in Manchester for the love of progress.
1: I can't think of a better note to end on. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been Bullet. I've been the con man, Matt Connolly. Drink lots of water. Look after your friends. Wrestling
0: should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun.
1: Wrestling should be fun. fun.